There are some of you here that enjoy garage sales, flea markets. Sometimes when you go to places like this, you don't know what you're getting. Imagine what customers thought when they saw this sign posted in a flea market in Stewart, Florida. Quote, good condition, period. Heater slash dehumanizer. Well, we know what the customer was supposed to be getting. That description actually is a good description of the cross of Christ. Good condition. Heater slash dehumanizer. For it was in the cross of Christ that Jesus experienced the heat of God's formidable wrath. And the process of crucifixion itself was a dehumanizing process. Yet, it was good. We call this Good Friday because of the benefit that believers receive from the death of Christ. While on the cross, Jesus uttered three statements early on. From nine o'clock in the morning when he was placed on the cross until noon, sometime within that three-hour window, he said these three things. First, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then he said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is the third statement recorded of the Lord Jesus as he hung on the cross. Dear woman, here is your son. And turning to the Apostle John, here is your mother. Isn't it interesting that while Jesus is hanging on the cross... He is thinking of other people. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He's focusing on the soldiers. Today, I tell you the truth, you will be with me in paradise. He is speaking to the thief that is next to him, who in his repentance believes that Jesus is the Christ. Dear woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. He's having the young Apostle John look after his now widowed mother, Mary. Always focus on other people. And then at noon, scriptures tell us that it became as dark as midnight. There was silence for nearly a three-hour period of time while Jesus' life 
as a human being slipped away from him. Oh, he didn't just kind of go passively away. No, his, his death was something that he designed, intended, and he um, volitionally gave up his life. It was a choice he made. Toward the end of that period of time, he made four statements. I'm only going to focus on one, and that has to do with our text this evening. Jesus said, in the midst of that darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he was quoting from Psalm 22. That's one of the chapters. Uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 53 is, 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 is the other most prominent one. That, that, that was one of the chapters that, that New Testament writers look back to and realize this was scripted from a very long time ago. This whole death of Christ and the substitution of Christ, his death as a sacrifice, it was all scripted. The Old Testament saints didn't quickly see it because Psalm 22 was written by David out of his own personal experience. But what we have in this particular psalm are two levels of meaning. We find David in an excruciatingly painful time in his life where he is stressed and pressed and distressed. God delivers him. But this is David's experience. This is David's recounting of God's deliverance in his life. Yet, there's another layer of meaning where the Holy Spirit intended the words that David wrote so that they could be seen as a prophetic reference to the work of Christ on the cross. Now, if you've ever looked at my Bible you will notice that there are no marks in my Bible. I don't mark in my Bible. I used to. Oh my, did I used to. And, and every page was yellow or, or circled in, in pen or underlined in pencil maybe. But an older, wiser preacher said, um, I don't write in my Bible. Because when I read a passage of Scripture, I, I want to read it as if for the first time. I, I, I don't want to have something that I learned a year ago, last week, maybe when I was first saved. I, I, I don't want that to influence how I look at a particular verse. I want the Holy Spirit to have complete freedom to speak to me through His Word. So I followed that. But if I was to have a pencil in hand, I would mark Psalm 22 this way. And at least mentally, if not physically, 
I want you to mark this chapter. At verse, after verse 20, 21, before verse 22, I would put a double line. I'd put a double line there to, to separate the two very distinct sections in this psalm. Verses 1 through 21 are in the minor key, if I can use a musical term. Verses 22 through 31 are in a major key. Oh, there is, there is night and day difference between these two parts of the psalm. Let me focus on the first part for just a moment. I would divide this into three sections. And I'd put one line, a single line, between verses 5 and 6. And then between verses 11 and 12. Three sections, three subsections, if you will, in the first section. Now, let me divide it yet again. You'll find great benefit in this. I'd put maybe a dotted line, a dashed line, between verse 2 and verse 3. We're still in the same first subsection of the first section. But there's a a division here in this first section between verses 2 and 3. And you'll notice... Um, most of the major translations will begin verse 3 with the words, yet you, speaking of God. Yet you, sometimes it's translated, but you, second subsection of the first section. I would draw a dotted line between verses 8 and 9. And you'll notice at verse 9, there are the same words. Yet you, or depending on your translation, but you, speaking of God. In the third subsection of the first section, I draw another uh, dotted line between verses 18 and 19. And there we find in verse, at the beginning of verse 19, the same words, Yet you, or but you, speaking of the Lord. In the first section, verses 1 through 21, there is um, a description by David of spiritual pain. In the second subsection, that of emotional pain. And in the third section, physical pain. I want to look at, um, at, at each of these sections. Remember that these were originally written by David. But, and particularly when we get to the third subsection of the first section, verses 11 through 18, I'm sorry, verse 12 through 18. Uh, we're we're going to find, as, as, as David is describing his own physical pain, we're going we're gonna to find uh, a, a, a series of references to crucifixion. 
which is a little odd because crucifixion hadn't even been invented. It was centuries away from being invented. So where do we get this? This is all superintended by the Holy Spirit to point us, direct us, guide us after the fact to the cross of Christ. Section number one, subsection number one. David expresses his own spiritual pain. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? David is feeling absolutely alone. As if God himself has left him. Far from my deliverance, into verse 1, are the words of my groaning. I am crying out to you, David says. And it's like you are a million miles away. I'm not getting anywhere with, 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 with my praying. I am feeling all alone. I have no one to help me. we think about Jesus speaking these words from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's so easy, it's common, for um, new readers of the text to assume that the agony that Jesus is experiencing is the agony because of the cross, because of the physical demand upon his life. Remember, he had been beaten with 39 lashes, what the Jews used to call the 40 lashes less one, because they believed that 40 lashes would kill a man. So they lashed Jesus unto the point of death. And from that point... They mocked him. They beat him. They made him carry his own cross to the execution site. And he couldn't do it. He was absolutely physically drained. His back would have been a bloody mess. A lictor charged with giving a condemned man a flogging would have had a, a, a piece of wood some 18 inches long to which were tied uh, pieces of leather and, and on the ends of those leather straps would have been uh, tied, secured uh, pieces of bone or rock so that when he flailed the condemned and pulled it back, it would have opened up his flesh. It would have been deeply bruised. And then, 
They nailed him to the cross. You, you commonly see that nail prints are right here in the palms of, of Jesus' hands in pictures. No, he wasn't nailed there. If anyone was nailed there, the, the nail would have ripped through the flesh. No, he would, have, he would have been nailed in the wrist. Both hands and then his feet. Was he in physical agony? Oh, absolutely! Is that why he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No! Listen to the 19th century preacher, J.C. Philpott. Quote, It was not the nails driven through his hands and feet. It was not the crown of thorns placed on his brow. It was not the stripes which which mangled his back. It was not the the languor, the, the faintness under which he suffered, which caused our Lord to die. It was not the mere bodily agony of the cross. It was not the mere pain, though most acute and severe. The nails driven through his sacred hands and feet. It was not being stretched upon the cross six hours that constituted the chief part of the Redeemer's suffering. But it was the almost intolerable load of imputed sin. The imputed sins of millions. It was the tremendous pouring out of the wrath of God into his holy soul. It was the <coughs> it was the hiding of the Father's face, the very pangs of hell that there caught hold of him. That's why Jesus cried out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For he, the Father, made him the Son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, tells us, The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief as a guilt offering. Jesus endured tremendous spiritual pain on the cross because the sins of millions was poured on his shoulder and covered his soul. He became sin. Second subsection of the first section in Psalm 22. I realize I'm I'm skipping over some verses, but we're going to come back to those. Look at verse 6 of Psalm 22. Again, this is David writing. I am a worm 
and not a man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They, they separate with the lip. They, they wag the head saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Oh, you think you're something special, do you, David? You think you're, you, you're tight with God. Well, well, we'll just see about that. Let's let, let's let your God rescue you. And we're going to watch. That's, what, that's, the, that's the, the emotion David is trying to capture here. He's feeling as, as though he is so worthless, so um, not worthy of any attention, that he is like a worm in the grass. One that you, you, don't, even, you don't even look for as you're walking through your yard. And you step on one, you go, whoops, uh, okay. You don't even notice, David feels that way, that kind of emotional pain. I want you to listen to what Jesus endured. Matthew chapter 27, verse 39, verse 38. At that time, he's on the cross now, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. Those passing were hurling abuse at Jesus, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, (laughs) save yourself! If you're the Son of God, come down from that cross! In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, he saved others, he can't save himself! He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Jesus endured spiritual pain on the cross because of the sin he bore. He endured emotional pain from those around him, mocking him in what he was doing as the substitution for sinners. First section, third subsection. Look with me at verse 12 in Psalm 22. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan. They have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a, as a ravening and a roaring lion. Bashan is, is the present-day Golan Heights. Has been for millennia good pasture land for cattle. And this, using this, this image of uh, uh, the bulls of Bashan, David is, 
is saying, the, the, the strongest of the strong stand against me. Then in the next verse, when he talks about the, the ravening, roaring, rapacious lions, he's saying the, the, the ones that are the, the, the most mighty, the most feared, they are all standing against me. He, he's, he's looking at the physical pain that he is enduring, and, and, and David is absolutely beside himself. He, he shows, he, he describes what, what, his, uh, what his life is, is like, what, he, what he's feeling physically. Um, verse, verses 14 to 15, his, he, he's, he's feeling as though he's poured out like water. Like his, like his bones are out of joint. Like his, his heart is melting with wax. Like, like wax. His strength has been uh, dried up like a, like a broken piece of pottery. Verse 15. His tongue is so dry that it, it sticks to his mouth and he, he can't say a thing. One of the statements that Jesus made in that last period of three hours on the cross was, I thirst. He said that so that a, a, a sponge might be uh, dipped in sour wine, placed upon his, his lips so that he could um, uh, dislocate his dried tongue from the roof of his mouth and he could speak the the, the most uh, poignant, important words while he was on the cross. It is finished. It says that he, he, he spoke with a loud voice and, and yielded up his spirit. Everyone needed to know he was choosing at that point to die. And why was he doing so? Because atonement was finished. His job as the Redeemer, had come to a conclusion. He was done. Verses 16 through 18, we have these amazing pictures. Hundreds of years before the fact. A full millennia. David lived a thousand years before Jesus. David wrote these words of Jesus' experience. For David, it would have been um, a, a figurative experience. His hands were pierced. His, his feet were pierced. Maybe figuratively, not, not literally. Jesus was literally experiencing this. He was so emaciated. Those staring could count his bones. And then verse 18. They divided my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. We know nothing from David's experience where, where this was the case. But we do know that as Jesus died, the soldiers at the foot of the cross gambled for his clothing. Prophecy was perfectly 
fulfilled in Christ. Now, I haven't said anything about the words below the dotted line in each of these three subsections of the first section, verses 1 through 21. I, 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 I want to direct your attention to those verses below the dotted line. And you who are struggling in any, any kind of way, struggling with, 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 with grief, struggling with um, guilt in your own, your own spiritual struggle, struggling physically, um, uh, uh, struggling in, in, in any way with, with difficulty, anxiety, anything, you will benefit from what we're about ready to read. I want you to make some observations with me and then I'll bring it all to a close. So we're going to look at, at this set of verses collectively. Verse 3. David writes, Yet you... Okay, he, he's talking about his pain. And then he says, Okay, yet you... It, it's as though he's, he's rehearsing something. He is experiencing something and now he's reminding himself of something else. Yet you are holy... You're enthroned above the praises of Israel. Okay, he's, he's focusing on who God is, who he knows God is. Verse 4. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were delivered. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. Is David's name in verses 4 and 5? No. Does he make reference to himself in any way? No. Who's the point of focus? The people in the past. People that have trusted. How many times does the word trust show up? One, two, three. They trusted. They trusted. They trusted. These are God's people, David's pointing to, they trusted in the midst of their pain, their difficulty, their struggle, and God delivered them. All right? Next set of verses below the dotted line. Section number one, subsection number two, verses 9, 10, and 11. Yet you... You are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when, when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Does David talk about himself in this section? Oh yeah. Very clearly so. And he says, God, you have been my God. And I have trusted you 
from the time that I was an infant. Indeed, before that, when I was in my mother's womb. But right now, verse 11, David confesses, there, there, is, there is no human being around me that can help. Remember, the, the, this second subsection is talking about emotional pain that he receives from other people. And David realizes, God, you are my God. You always have been. And there's nobody else around me that can deliver me. No one else can help me. None. There isn't anybody. Next set of verses below the dotted line. So this is the first section, third subsection, verses 19 through 21. Notice the verbs as I read. But you, or yet you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. Let me bring all these verses together that are below the dotted line. Take note of this. David begins with the character of God. You are holy. You are other than. You are, you are distant, God. Yet, your people, they, they trusted you and you delivered them. God, you are holy. Your people in the past were in great need of help. You came to their aid. You delivered them. Next subsection, below the dotted line, David said, God, you are my God. You always have been. I have known no other besides you. And I put my trust in you. For I have no one else. Third subsection. So, help. Verse 20. Deliver. Verse 21. Save. Those are the words to underline if you're an underlining person in your Bible. Help. Deliver. Save. Do you see how these are connected? When you are going through struggle, stress, turmoil of any kind, first, remember who God is. And remember in your mind what he has done in the past for his people. This is why, this is one reason why I read the Bible incessantly. I have read the Bible through cover to cover many, many times. It is so that I am rehearsing in my own mind. I am remembering all the times that God has delivered His people. Because sometimes I have to remind myself of the facts 
so that my feelings fall in place. My feelings are like the caboose on a train. A caboose never drives the train. The facts drive the the train. What I know to be true, even if it's not experiential, even if it's not true in my life, yet, I go back, I remember the character of God, and I remember the deliverance He brought His people from times past. I remember God is holy. I remember He had His people, they they prayed to Him, and, and He delivered them. And now in my own experience, God, David says, I have known no other God but you. And I have no other help than you. So he boldly prays, help, deliver, save. Do in my life, my experience, my turmoil, what I have seen you do, what I have read of your work in the lives of your people in the past. Oh God, do that now. Help me. Deliver me. Save me. Now this is all coming out of David's experience. Not necessarily Jesus's. But again, we have, we have two layers of meaning here that we're, we're looking at and we're exploring. When we turn to the second section in this psalm, beginning at verse 22, there is is a dramatic change. Uh, The first 21 verses are are like like a cold winter rain. Verses 22 through 31 are like a warm summer shower. Oh, that feels so good. Oh, and it's hot. And muggy. That warm shower feels so good. Here is where David uh, declares by faith of God's deliverance. So sure is he of the character of God and the work of God in the past that he is confident that God will continue to do His work in him. For he believes, always has. Yahweh is God alone. Now I want you to to, uh, quickly look with me at, at some of these verses regarding this, this deliverance. We might, we might label the first portion, the first section of Psalm 22 as, as desolation. We might label verses 22 through 31 deliverance. David says, verse 22, I will tell of your name. I will praise you. Next verse. 
You who fear the Lord, praise Him. Glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him. Why? Verse 24. When he, that is David, cried to God for help, God heard. God heard. And it wasn't just that that there was a, a cognitive understanding on God's part that David was in pain, spiritual, emotional, physical. Oh, more than that. God delivered him in the midst of that struggle. So he offers praise in the assembly, verse 25. And even the afflicted are satisfied in God. Verse 26. So, so, so sure, so certain is God's deliverance to David. Verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. How are they going to do that? Okay, David's the one that's in in pain. He's he's, uh, afflicted. There is desolation in his life. He prays to the Lord for deliverance. God does deliver. How is it? How is it? that the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Verse 30. How is it that posterity will serve him? How is it that children and great-grandchildren, great-great-greats, will serve God? Verse 30. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. Verse 31, they will come and they will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. You see, David is is so overwhelmed with the character of God in his holiness. The work of God in his deliverance. In the past, even in David's young life, He keeps going back to these things and and it fuels his faith that God will deliver. So much so that he declares his praise in in the assembly, verse 25. I will tell of your name to my brethren, verse 22. There is a verbalization on David's part of the great work that God has done within him. He is so overwhelmed, so grateful for God's work that he can't shut up. You remember when uh, contemporary Christian music, CCM, took root in the 1970s with the Jesus movement. That's when I got saved. I remember all that stuff very well. Don Francisco was uh, was a a well-known songwriter and singer. He he has a ballad 
that he, uh, in this ballad, it's a long song, where, where he places himself and his wife in, into the first century world. And, and his, his daughter is, is uh, very, very sick, and she ends up dying. And he meets Jesus. And Jesus does the amazing miracle of raising his daughter who subsequently died back to life. And at the end of, the, of, of his ballad, he, uh, he sings over and over again, I gotta tell somebody. I gotta tell somebody what Jesus did for me. There, there was... There, there was this overwhelming declaration of all that God has done for, for, for him in that, in that, in that ballad. But, but this is David's experience as well. I, I've, I've got to tell somebody who God is and what he's done. The, the past is the past, but I'm talking about what he's doing right now in my life. Oh, that's what we need. My friends, whatever the struggle, the difficulty may be in your life, and things may be roses right now, but wait, uh, right? Things will change. It always does. But it's in those unexpected moments that we sometimes have to Make sure that the facts are driving the train and not the caboose. And the facts are, God is holy. And God cares for His people. And He has a long track record of providing and protecting and delivering His people out of all kinds of affliction. For those who come to Him, trust Him, Walk with Him. Pray to Him. Beg of Him. Help. Deliver. Save. He does. In ways that you want? Mm, Not always. In the timing you want? Or think you need? Not necessarily... We go back to God is the one who sovereignly does all that he does for his glory. There are some that will say that when Jesus uttered those words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had this psalm in its entirety replaying in his mind. We have no way of knowing whether that's the case or not. We may someday, when we ask the Lord. If it was, it, it, it's, a, it's a song, a, a psalm that begins with, with feelings of, of desperation and desolation, but it ends in triumph because God delivers. As it was... The Father's plan 
Jesus died, but not forever. He was raised, bringing us the deliverance that we desperately and eternally need. Let's pray. Our blessed God, thank you for what you have accomplished on the cross of Calvary. It, it, it seems um, so flippant to simply say thanks. We are so eternally needed, needy of a Savior, a substitute. Someone who potentially could and does take our penalty and absorb it into himself that it no longer stand as a judgment against us. Such was the work of Christ. Blessed God, we thank you for that glorious work. And pray that our lives, our mouthpieces, would declare your praise and your deliverance. You are eternally worthy. We thank you for all of this in the name of the Christ.